welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Welcome to the 39th full episode of this podcast. In this episode, I will be talking about Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, and I will get to it at the end of the episode. Um, at the top of this, I think I will do a little rant, um, a little rant. My my mental health has been kind of on the fritz lately. Um, anxiety, depression. I know it's probably kind of annoying to hear. Um, some people resonate with this stuff. Others don't. Others are like, who the fuck cares? Like, why are you talking? Why are you talking about personal shit on your podcast? I'm like, I. Uh, to be honest, I have no one else to say this to. And. You know, my uh, therapist, I don't know if I mentioned, I went to a, my latest therapist for a while. And I, I don't know, I feel like he wasn't really helping me that much. And I know you kind of have to shop around and get the right one to have a good relationship with a good therapist for you. But the one I went to, it's like, I'm like, well, I have these deep-seated issues with, like, credit card debt. And I'm like, well, it's a real serious problem, and it's causing problems with my personal life and everything. And he wouldn't address it. And it's like, in his mind, he already judged me, like, no, your problem isn't credit card debt. Your problem is with your wife, your relationship with your wife. I'm like, maybe, but... Also, the credit card debt is huge. I haven't been able to shake it for, I don't know, 20 years now. Um, And he just wouldn't. And then sometimes I would mention something about like past relationships. And he just, he would say something as if it was like a Hallmark card. Like, well, you can't live in the past, right? Got to live in the present. Uh, That'll be $800. See you next month. And... I don't know. It's just so at, at the end of every session, he would be like, all right, let's schedule you for the next one. He would do that every session. And then one day he was like, all right, well, you know, uh, you can call when you want our next session. So it's like he wanted to end the relationship. Even he quit on me. And I, I'm th- I think most people are averse to therapy. I really do because therapists are kind of meant to call you on your shit. And when a therapist calls me on my shit, I don't want to listen. I don't listen. I kind of shrug it off. And he probably sensed that. And he's like, you know what? Fucker, I'm done here. He didn't say that to my face, but he was like, well, all right. Well, it was nice talking to you. You can uh, call in to Kaiser when you're ready for your next session. Because he probably just sensed that I, it was going th- in one ear and what, out the other. Uh, anyway, my mental health has just been on the fritz. I work part-time at an Amazon warehouse. I don't think I've mentioned it ever before on this podcast. I work three days out of seven days. And people might hear this and scoff at it and be like, you work three days and you're complaining? I I don't know what else to do. Like three days 
it's an exhausting job and I know there are worse jobs out there, but it's it's not an easy job. And for me, for anyone, I don't think. And um, I don't know. I've I've contemplated going full time because full time is just one extra day. So it's just four days a week. So you get three day weekends. But three day. I mean, my mental health got so bad that I didn't work for a full year. And it's hard to believe that I I allowed my wife to work full time and I was at home not working for a full year. But that's what mental health does to you sometimes. That's what depression, anxiety does to you. And I'm I'm completely not surprised that there's there's a lot of homeless people out there with mental health problems because... A lot of the times, the job that you are forced to go to to make money in order to uh, in order to afford health insurance is the main reason for your depression. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you got to work to live. You got to work to eat. Okay, I'll go to my job. Well, this job is depressing and it makes me want to commit suicide. Trigger warning. Sorry. Um. But I got to go to the job in order to afford health insurance. Um, And I need health insurance to address my depression. But the job is causing my depression. So it's a never-ending cycle. Um, How long have I been talking about this? Let me check. I'm at past the five-minute mark. That's probably too much. But I I don't really know what to do. Um, I, I feel like... I have I have witnessed everything this world has to offer me in terms of here are all of your options that you can do in exchange for money and all of it I am either not capable of or not willing to do. So I don't know. There I I feel like there's no escape. I feel like um I will get to this later in the episode but I've been playing um SpongeBob SquarePants Krusty Cookoff. And life to me right now feels like an evil, terrible game that it's like, oh, let's see how he's going to handle the bills this month. Let's see how he'll handle life next month. And I'm failing every month, every day, every hour, every second, every minute. And there's no sign of it ever um, ending. And I don't really know what to do. My wife works four days in a row her name her normal schedule followed by two days off sometimes she works five days in a row and one day off and she's she doesn't she's not depressed i mean and i don't want to i don't want to blame depression as a you know i don't know what the right word is but I don't want to blame everything on depression. Some some days I don't know if I'm just an, a lazy asshole who doesn't want to get up or if I'm just super depressed and a lot of times lately I have so low energy that I I want to use my pay t- time off to get off from work even though I am only working 3 days a week. Sometimes I can't handle it. And you know, people are would yell at me like you're you're a fucking loser, you're an asshole. Three days a week and you can't handle it. And the truth is, no, I cannot, I cannot. So, 
I don't know what to do. Something's gonna gotta something's gotta give. Starring, who was it? Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholson, and um, who was in Something's Gotta Give? Let's look that up. Something's gotta give. That's not a song. Um, Jack Nicholson and Diane Keats. Um, I don't know why I looked it up. Jack and Diane. Something's gotta give. That's weird. It's on the poster, Jack and Diane. You might think that that's part of the title, but it's not. Anyway, let's move on from this. Um, if you are suffering from mental health, I hope you get the help that you need. I'm on medications. I I, I don't know. My psychiatrist retired. He was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. He retired. So uh, it it feels like face off or like I got all the, all this medication and everyone involved in giving me the medication and therapist has like retired or di- or died. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm on this medication for life. Um, face off, not a bad movie. Um, my, we, when we went to Lake Arrowhead, my wife was watching it on TV cause she had never seen it before. And they edited the scene with Nick Cage in the beginning where he's acting like a crazy priest. And he goes over and talks to the girl in the choir and she drops her sheet music. She goes to pick it up and he talks to her a little bit. And that's kind of the end of the scene. And then I showed her the unedited scene on YouTube and he grabs her arse. He grabs her arse. She looks, she's probably underage. She looks underage. She, he grabs her arse and he, he becomes wide-eyed. He's supposed to be playing a crazy-ass villain, but interesting. Um, well, I don't know what's on the agenda today. Let's talk about, so on the news beat for this episode, I just wanted to read this headline. Fan builds his own incredible attack on Titan video game. The caption, or I, I don't know what you call it. The, it's basically Spider-Man only with large naked monsters. So look this up. I didn't read through the article because I'm not responsible or prepared, but... It says Swami. The name of the guy or person is Swami. Who created this game. Um, Hold on. The first reply says, Yeah, there have been official Attack on Titan video games, but they've never really managed to fully capture the speed and scale of the show. So the comment is, I mean, I'd say they do a great job of doing just that. Maybe the maps weren't as big, but the speed was definitely captured. The games were lots of fun, great gameplay, and good customization and fun co-op. This looks okay based on the footage. I like the first-person camera option, though. Um, So the first few comments said that... um, the games, the official games that do exist of Attack on Titans are pretty good. So, you know, headlines are headlines. This is from Kotaku.com. You know, as long as they get to click, nothing else matters, you know. And I'm talking about it, so. Uh, 
You know, I watched the first season of Attack on Titan and I really liked it a lot. It ended with, I think Annie, her name was Annie. She was kind of this stoic, um, shy, doesn't speak a lot, blonde girl. And she, I guess she, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I guess she was a Titan or something. I, I dropped off after the first season of Attack on Titan you know i saw some clips of later seasons and it got really deep into politics or something i don't know it kind of felt boring but i'm not sure if i should i don't know if they're available but um i did really like that first season a lot and i forget the name of that um that guy and the girl man that girl was awesome i don't remember their character's names um, I also liked that first Attack on Titan live-action movie. I know both were pretty much panned in the online communities, but I liked that first one. Second one, not so much. Second one, not so much. But I did like that first one. Um, so I only clicked on two headlines on movieweb.com, and they're not even news. They're just lists. But lists are fun, aren't they? No? Okay. Tim Burton's best movie characters ranked. Let's go through this. Um, number 10, Sparky from Frank and Weenie. You know, I've seen it once. It didn't really hit me. I should try it again as an older person. Number 9, Ed Wood from Ed Wood. I've never seen it. Um, never seen it. Number 8, you know, I, I, I figured all these were going to be like creatures. So I'm already surprised that nine is Edward, a human. Number eight, Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Sure. Johnny Deep. Number seven, The Penguin, Batman Returns. You know, if you're a fan of We'll See You in Hell, there's that um, ongoing battle argument between pat walsh and joe DeRosa about batman and batman returns so joe and pat both like um, batman and joe hates batman returns unless he views it as a christmas movie and pat loves batman returns and i i agree with pat because i feel like batman returns is a lot it's very fun, and Danny DeVito as the Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman are—they're just very fun performances. Michelle Pfeiffer to me is the best Catwoman, um, and I don't—I don't care about the relation to the comic books, and neither does Pat, but Joe does, and no one's wrong, no one's right. Sally, number six, Sally, the Nightmare Before Christmas. How's my audio levels? Um, I hope it's okay. I'm currently using the, again, the Audio-Technica ATR2100-USB. But I, I, I have an audio interface, so I'm not using the USB. I am using the XLR. Number six, Sally, The Nightmare Before Christmas, of course. Um, Catherine O'Hara. Number five, Lydia Dietz. Beetlejuice, I didn't know that was her last name. Lydia Dietz. Uh, 
Um, I watched Beetlejuice in the last two years. I thought it was a little too weird for my taste, but I know a lot of people love it. Number four, Emily, the Corpse Bride. I had a a former girlfriend who loved this movie because she was really into music and music composition and teaching music, and she just loved the music in The Corpse Bride. Um, I believe she said the the procession music she wanted to use at her wedding. I'm going to go ahead and guess that she didn't use it for her wedding, but who knows? Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice, sure. Michael Keats is is the best. It's a great performance despite my not loving the movie. Jack Skellington, The Nightmare Before Christmas, of course. Um, He's number two, so let's all guess who number one will be. Jack Skellington, Nightmare Before Christmas is number two. Tim Burton. Um, well, the Penguin is on this list, and he didn't create the Penguin, so it could be Batman. Tim Burton, who else? Um, Edward Scissorhands? Yeah, probably Edward Scissorhands, number one. Drumroll, please. Oh, my God, what the fuck was that? Drum roll, please. I love how people roll their R's to be a a drum roll. It it doesn't sound anything like a drum roll. I guess it kind of sounds like a drum roll. Number one, Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands. I guess you, 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 you might think that I cheated, but I promise on my, um, life that I didn't cheat. But number one on this list is Edward Scissorhands. Um, On an unrelated note, I recently um, spayed my cats, my two young kitties. They are, I don't know, they're under a year old. They're quite a bit under a year, March, April, May, June, July, August. They're like five months old, but they, they said it's all good to get them spayed and I couldn't help but feel a little bad. Um, I don't know. It's like taking their womanhood away or something. But they're they're wearing the cones because they're not supposed to lick or bite or scratch at their incisions or whatever. And you know they're a little groggy. It we did it yesterday. I just I just hope they're okay. I want them to be okay. Um. Their names are Lily and Lala. If anyone's wondering, I'm sure no one is. No one cares. I barely care. That's not true. I care about my cats. I care about my cats. And the second and final article headline that I clicked on was the best, the 13 best rom-coms on Netflix um, ranked. You know, these... I'm on movieweb.com, and I already probably mentioned this before, but they have video ads that are just constantly playing, so you can't focus. You know, there's a reason why people, humans, have uh, the attention span of a goldfish. uh, People, humans caused it. Anyway, it's for Prey. It's an original film now on Hulu. 
I, I might check it out <laughs> as I um, as I rail against these video ads playing. Um, I might check it out. Thirteen best Netflix rom coms. Number thirteen, No Strings Attached. Haven't seen it. Um, what's it called? Uh, Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. Actually, is that it? Uh, yeah, I was confused because. Uh, anyway, number twelve. I haven't seen it. Twelve. Napoli Ever After. I am unfamiliar with this film. Um. Sana Sanaa Lathan. I don't know anything about this movie. Um. According to Roger Ebert, so this must have been a while ago because Roger Ebert died a while ago. Napoli Ever After. 2018. When did Roger Ebert die? He probably died a while ago. Um, the fuck? He died in... <laughs> he died in 2013, right? Um, oh God, this is so annoying. So Roger Ebert died in nine, in 2013. I'm just going to read the synopsis of this number 12 out of 13 on the 13 best rom-coms in Napoli ever after Violet Sanaa Lathan is plagued by deep-seated insecurities about her natural hair. The insecurities stem from her mother's criticism, criticism of her as a child and her insistence on straightening her hair before she went out in public. As a grown woman, Violet's diffidence begins to affect her love life negatively. After a challenging breakup, Violet must learn to accept and love herself, and in turn, she finds love again. According to Roger Ebert, and Roger Ebert is underlined, comma, Lathan's performance in Napoli Ever After is fearless. This is so annoying because, so like, Pat, Pat hates this as well because he doesn't think it should be called Roger Ebert's, RogerEbert.com anymore because he's, he's dead, which is, which I completely agree with. Um, so here's the quote not every actress is capable of pulling off what Lathan pulls off in this scene she's fearless but Roger Ebert didn't say that um, Sheila O'Malley wrote this on September 21, 2018 for RogerEbert.com so I know we're getting into semantics or whatever, but this movie web article should really say according to RogerEbert.com, not according to Roger Ebert underlined comma. Lathan's performance is Napoli ever after is fearless. That's it's very annoying. Um, it's fucking stupid, if I may say so myself. Number 11, Holiday. Um, 
Emma Roberts and Luke Bracey. I've never heard of this. So in the little caption, it says, Spoiler alert, Holiday is one of those fake couple becomes real couple movies. Um, that's a foreshadowing of one of the movies I will talk about in the movie beat in this episode. Number 10, sev- Set It Up. Zoe Dutch, Zoe Dutch, and Glenn Powell. Um, Zoe Deutsch. Uh, I'm not real familiar with her. I've seen her mostly in in trailers. I think she was in Zombieland too. Um, I've never seen her act. And Glenn Powell, I only recognize from um, Jesus Christ, the Jets, Maverick. Top Gun to Maverick. That one, uh, I'm interested in just because Zoe Deutsch Deutsch looks hot in this little picture. But um, we'll see. To all the boys I've loved before, um, Lana Condor, who I recognize from... Oh, my God. Moonshot. Um, I haven't seen this either. Might check it out. My wife and I, <laughs> I've mentioned it before, but she always wants to watch Romantic Romantic. And then whenever we watch it, I enjoy it. And she's like, meh. So it's interesting. Number eight, Something Great. Gina Rodriguez, I believe, of Jane the Virgin fame. Gets dumped by her longtime boyfriend, Nate, played by Lakeith Stanfield. Haven't seen that one. Um, The Duff. Um, I've heard of this movie. I haven't seen it. Mae Whitman, who played Yuffie in a couple games. I think she played Yuffie in... I know she played Yuffie in some of the Kingdom Hearts games and... In Dirge of Cerberus, I think. Um, but sh- the first one to play Yuffie was um, Even Stevens. Oh, God. I should just mash my brain because it's already mashed, you know? <sighs> um, Christy Carlson Romano played her. Um, let me look at Christy Carlson Romano. I just want to l- get to Kingdom Hearts. Played Yuffie. I'm not going to find it. Let me just look up Mae Whitman. This podcast sucks, doesn't it? Jesus Christ. Um, Mae Whitman's mother is named Pat Music. I wonder if she's a musician. Vidya Games. So she played Yuffie in Kingdom Hearts 2. She played Yuffie in Dirge of Cerberus, Final Fantasy 7. And then Kingdom Hearts 2.5 Remix, Archive Sound. Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind, she played Yuffie, which is... 
a little weird because this came out in 2020 and you know Final Fantasy 7 remake came out in 2020 and Yuffie wasn't there yet but they they finally decided that hmm maybe Yuffie should be played by an Asian person but it doesn't bother me if it should bother you why should it bother me um so the duff also this guy Robbie Amel he's like in so many things but i don't think he's a household name yet unless i'm wrong he's in so many things and he was in like the dc tv shows playing something i'm i'm just going to go ahead and say he his wife is so hot Italia Ricci, who um great actress in her own right. Oh man, let's move on. She's gotta have it. Um The Romantic Com number six. The romantic comedy genre is one with a notable lack of diversity, which many great filmmakers today are working to rectify. She's gotta have it. Spike Lee um, doesn't even say the the name of the stars in it. Uh, yeah, that's they, they they mention that it's a Spike Lee joint, but they don't mention um, who the stars are. It's great. Crazy Stupid Love I have seen, and I think it's a pretty solid movie. Um, not maybe not great, but Steve Carell, Julianne Moore, Ryan Gosling. Emma Stone. Um, this movie should be called A Bunch of Whites. But it's 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 fun. And Ryan Gosling, it, it is funny how he can do everything. He's good looking. He can do drama. He can do comedy. He can do action. He's unstoppable. Is he still... Who's he going out with? Um, Ryan Gosling. Is he going out with a duck? Because his last name's Gosling? Or is that Goosling? He is in a relationship with Eva Mendez, with whom he has two daughters. Oh, God, Eva Mendez. Um, okay. Number four, Always Be My Maybe. You know, a romantic comedy starring two Asian people... I don't think my wife was interested in this, and I'm not sure why. Um, I don't know. We'll probably see this eventually, but we I haven't seen it. Uh, here's a related article. The 50 Greatest Romantic Comedies of All Time. I'm clicking on it, but I'm not going to read it. The Number three, The Lucky One. Um, a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. Zac Efron. And Taylor Schilling of Orange is the New Black fame. Number two, we did see Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between. I wouldn't call it a rom-com. I would call it a, a rama-drama, you know? It's more of a romantic drama. I wouldn't call it a romantic comedy, but um, I, I thought it was pretty solid. I like the chemistry between the two, and it was pretty good. 
The Kissing Booth, number one, with Joey King, Jacob Alordi, and Joel Courtney. The only one I recognize is Joel Joey King. Um, I don't know. I guess I should check that out. Um, here's another article. The Sandman star Boyd Hol- Holbrook wants to play the Joker. We need to we need to take a rest on the Jokers. I think, you know, we have Joaquin Phoenix who's killing it as the Joker in my opinion. We have, in my opinion, one of the weirdest actors who has ever lived. I don't know his name by heart, but um, that's not fair. He was he was just weird in. Ugh, it's not the Lobster. But it's the Yorgos Lanthimos movie. I'll get it. Um, the Killing of a Sacred Deer. His performance, Barry Keoghan, was so good in that role that I don't think he could be normal in real life. But I'm sure he is. He was just crazy weird in that movie. If you haven't seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer... like. It's like, how do you direct that performance? I don't know. He's very good, though. So he's the Joker. Um, you know, some some would say that Heath Ledger is still the kind of the king of the Joker, which I don't know. I I thought his performance was great, but I think the Joker was such a deep dive into that character that Heath Ledger was able to play him as he was already full Joker. But um, Joaquin Phoenix did a deep dive. And it's hard to compare because you have a, a short appearances on screen in The Dark Knight as the Joker compared to a whole movie. And the movie's called The Joker. So it's it's kind of unfair to compare. So, and then you have... Um, Oh my god. 30 seconds to Mars who his joker died rightfully so a quick death but he the that universe is still alive and kicking with the suicide squad recently released in the past few years. So let's 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 hold off on another joker, Boyd Holbrook. Even though I liked you in um I think you were in Narcos and Logan and that movie with Scarlet Witch and Dakota Fanning. Um, yeah, let me look at my notes. So Music Beat. You know, I've, I've still been listening to Domi and J.D. Beck. If you haven't yet, check them out. Their new album, Not Tight was recently released but i have to say um you should check out their live performances on youtube because when you listen to the album it's almost like you feel like this is so ridiculous it's they probably program these drums in they probably program these keyboard notes in and then when you see it live on youtube it's like oh no they're just very young, very talented geniuses. 
So they're great. They're really great. Again, Domi and J.D. Beck. Today I'm recording this on August 11th, 2022. And, you know, I, I am going to see Saves the Day soon in concert live. And they're going, I believe they're going to perform Stay What You Are, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I, re- I already went through this before, but it's a little bittersweet because I am excited to see these songs live that I've never seen before live. But he has been accused of stuff, stuff he has admitted. So it's like bittersweet. I'm excited to see it, but it's unfortunate that he has these quote-unquote allegations even though he has admitted to some so i don't know what you call them it's not allegations if they're confirmed but maybe i can just shut off my brain for an hour and just try to enjoy it Uh, but we'll see gaming beat man this is this might be a long episode um i'm at 37 minutes gaming beat is where i talk about what i've been playing lately I got my Switch with me. I want to mention, I know I've been talking a lot of nint- about Nintendo lately, and I'll just quickly um, continue that trend because I started. I picked up Yoshi's Crafted World. I had it, but I started playing it again recently, and it's a very, very good game. Um, The genius about this game is that the kids can enjoy it because the aesthetic is for kids because it's very bright and colorful and the soundtrack is for little kids. But if you're an older player like myself, you can do all the platforming challenges, some of which are too hard for me. But like the gameplay is very creative and it's a very solid game. Um... In in terms of the Nintendo roster, Yoshi's not super high on my list, just because I prefer a Mario, a Zelda, a Metroid, a Donkey Kong. But uh, Yoshi's Crafted World is a very good game. It's very good. Um, I'm looking through my Switch games because I've been playing Switch a lot lately. Um, let me see. So, I picked up this game because I saw it was on sale. It's called Pixel Monsters, Pixel Junk Monsters 2. And it's a pretty fun um, tower defense game. And if I like tower defense, but some, like, I, I know that it can get repetitive, but it's fun. And this is a fun game. So check it out if you if you're into tower defense, Pixel Junk Monsters Two. You play like a little guy. I don't uh, I don't mean to be offensive, but a little guy in like a tiki mask, and you have to protect these like twenty babies in tiki masks. Unless those are their faces, then I apologize. And so these mo- all sorts of monsters are coming down the like these waves of monsters some are like spiders so they crawl fast so you have to put 
either all range towers like arrows or ground towers like bombs and then these flying creatures come so you have to put down the appropriate uh, towers to attack the the air attackers as well but it's a it's a fun game i i recommend it you should check it out what else is there i've been playing streets of rage 4 and i i I really like the graphics and animation again the gameplay can get a little repetitive but you you play through a level every now here and there and it's fun it's really fun and I I believe well I I have Streets of Rage one through three on like the Sega compilations and such so, but four they like completely revamped the animation and the graphics, and it's very cool, I like it. One game. I've been playing. I started God Eater, God Eater three. And I gotta say the. The intro was a little clunky for me. Um, Because you start off as like, you create your character and you can name it whatever you want. And the default name is protagonist. And I just left it as protagonist, kind of like Tenet, the movie Tenet. His name was protagonist. And so, I don't know, you know, it's one of those things where this (coughs) this evil corporation is holding these characters, these guys these people as prisoners and they're making them do all these tasks like grunt work kind of but they put them in dangerous environments where there's these ash storms and they have to pick up materials or they have to fight these monsters these dangerous monsters that they're not willing to do so they send in these quote unquote like specially trained god eaters and they send they send in these kids too, so they're they're like evil and they um, they treat them badly and these kids get sick and they don't care. But in the beginning, it's like okay, we'll send you out and you have to learn this first move, which is like move and attack. And then after the mission is done, you end up back in the prison. You can talk a little bit to your teammates and the kids and then you do you start the next mission and then they're like okay we got to learn how to use the sorry we got to learn how to use the god eater or we got to learn how to use how to block how to guard how to use the skill devour and for me there i don't know it just there was so much terminology and different things It, it just felt um kind of clunky going back and forth between these introductory missions and then ending up in the prison cell it 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 wasn't really pulling me in i'm i'm kind of enjoying it but it's kind of whatever i have a feeling there's a ton of jrpgs like this that are just um i i'm sure they're they have their audience but like i I can't imagine this would break through huge in the Western audience, but maybe it does. I don't I don't have a good pulse on anything. But it, I'm sure it's not on the same level as like a Final Fantasy. But interesting enough, but not a high recommend, God Eater 3. 
but I, I'm sure if you like JRPGs, maybe you'd like it more. I played a little bit of Good Pizza, Great Pizza, but I haven't played too much of it. I started Overcooked 2. Um, it's interesting gameplay, but I, I feel like it, it's, it got pretty difficult pretty quickly. So I, I actually have Overcooked the first one, so I might check that one out first and then work my way up to Overcooked 2. But we'll see. One game that... Um, I've been really I I've been playing SpongeBob Krusty Cook Off the like I said and I like it a lot. And it's addicting. And it's one of those I don't know what you call it like cooking management. If you've ever played like Diner Dash, it's kind of like that where you, you start off with a pancake restaurant and you got to you got to cook the pancakes and then you got to put pink jelly or purple jelly depending on what the the customer wants and then the next restaurant is the, like the crabby patty restaurant and then the next one is barbecue so it, it's fun it's addicting the levels are short and i like it a lot it's addict it's easy to play whatever that saying is easy to learn hard to master but it, it's fun so far and then the last game that I really want to highlight, like a big, big recommend, is a game called Kaze and the Wild Masks. You know what's funny is I had never heard of this game. And the only reason I heard of this game is because I'm addicted to Amazon and I go onto the Amazon app and it's it's one of the games that it recommended. He's like, here's one, here's an item you might like, Kaze and the Wild Masks. I click on it. It has like four and a half or five stars. The reviews are good, so I blind buy it. It's it's kind of high for my price, but I'm bad with money, so it's like thirty bucks right now. So if if you can wait for it to go on sale, or you know if you have the money, support these. I'm assuming they're an indie developer. It was, I know one of the developers was Pixel Hive, but oh, I have the the case right here. It's made by Pixel Hive, but also Soe Desco. So, or maybe one is the publisher. Let me see, Soe Desco. Oh yeah, they're a publisher. So it's weird that Soe Desco gets, I don't know what you call it, f first billing. Um, it's not, that's not the right word, first billing. But they published this game. But uh, it was developed by Pixel Hive, which I believe it's the only game they've uh, developed so far. So the only reason I heard of this game is because Amazon recommended to him Recod rec uh, recommended it to me and it's a Donkey Kong Country clone and I was just thinking recently like in the past year or so 
that why aren't there any Donkey Kong Country clones out there? Because, you know, when a game reaches a certain um, amount of success, there's always these clones out there. So, for example, Super Metroid was such a good game that there's a ton, ton, ton of these games. They're not exactly like Super Metroid, but it spawned a new genre called Metroidvania. And then Hollow Knight was so good. Actually, there was a another article that said there's a, a wholesome hand-drawn Metroidvania, or like Hollow Knight, but it's hand-drawn and wholesome, and it's called Eyelets. I, or I'm, I'm assuming it's called pronounced islets i-s-l-e-t-s maybe it's islets i don't think so but so check that it's not out yet i don't i think it's coming out on august 24th but like donkey kong country is just i love the game mechanics of it i i love the trilogy they're some of my favorite games of all time so i i was wondering why there aren't more games that just copied that formula and this game, like, is exactly what the doctor ordered. You know what I'm saying? It's called Kaze and the Wild Masks. I've been, I picked it up yesterday and I've been really loving it. Um, y- you play Kaze and she is a, the fuck, bro? She is like a bunny. And her, you know, the story is kind of weird, hard to understand, but it doesn't matter. I I don't play Donkey Kong Country for the story. You know what I mean? But this, like, crystal sucks up her friend. And so she goes on this adventure to help her friend. One thing that's weird and not explained is her friend. I think her friend shows up as this demon head. Uh, she doesn't really interact with the demon head but she acts as like a an extra life so as long as that demon head is flying around with the main character kaze it means you have an extra life and then if you get hit that demon head goes away they don't explain the demon head i don't understand it again it doesn't matter and then the first mask i got was a like a bird mask and it allows you to fly around and it immediately reminded me of like Squawks, the bird from Donkey Kong Country. And then there are other masks like um, I think a fish mask or a shark mask, a tiger mask, a lizard. I got the lizard mask and it's basically the minecart levels from Donkey Kong Country. And the, the, the levels are pretty difficult well not all of them but some of them are pretty difficult i kept dying quite a bit quite a lot but it's very fun and it's almost to the point where like i feel if if nintendo really wanted to they could probably sue them i feel bad even saying that out loud um please don't do that nintendo i love this game and this came out in march 2021 i believe and I only heard about it in August 2022. Again, I try to stay off the internet for the most part. I stay off social media, so I don't know. 
But I'm very glad that Amazon recommended this to me. I'm glad I discovered it. And it made me, you know, I started Googling like games like Donkey Kong Country. There's a few articles, but, um, you know, the ukulele and the impossible lair comes up. And th that was made by former developers of Rare, so that makes sense. Um, also, there's a game that do not buy on the Switch called Gorilla Big Adventure. I made, I made a mistake. I thought it looked okay. It's not okay. It's not good. It's not a good game. Gorilla Big Adventure. I believe I paid $4.99 for it, and it might not seem like much, but it's not a good game. Now that's like I I could delete it I should delete it I'll probably delete it but it's not a good game Gorilla Big Adventure do not buy it um you know if you know any good platformers similar to a Donkey Kong Country series I feel like there should be a ton but I can't really think of that many you know Kaze and the Wild Masks really plays it. Close to the vest is not the right term, but it doesn't hide its influences. It doesn't try to hide its influences, and I love that about the game so far. Um, you know what's interesting is I found a video on YouTube that was talking about Kaze and the Wild Mask, and I I watched a little bit of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. I listened to it, and the first thing I thought of was... Man, all all YouTube videos sound the same. The the narration, you know, they talk this this is how they talk. They like Kazi in the Wild Mask is an awesome platformer on the Switch that I discovered and I think it's really cool. And I'm like the first thing I thought of was like, man, all YouTube video, all gaming YouTube videos, they follow the same formula, the same tone of voice. And what's so weird is that one of the top comments on that video said everything about this video the tone of voice the the way you talk about games your narrative i love it so much it's so unique and it's unlike any other content creator and it's the complete opposite of what i just thought of like no to me it sounds like every other video i've ever heard of but to this person apparently it's very unique and it got a lot of likes, so people agree with this person. So, I don't know. Like, one one man's trash is another man's come up. I don't know what that phrase means. I think that's all I have for the gaming beat. Also, I've been talking about gaming for too long. So, I'll, I'll just briefly say that I, I was looking into the Platinum Points system on Nintendo. And so, I started playing Super Mario Run and Pocket... Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, and I've been enjoying them. I even downloaded Fire Emblem Heroes. I've never played any Fire Emblem game. This looks like a strategy tactics game. It's not really my type of game, but if it can get me those points, I'll download it and I'll see what I can do. But Super Mario Run is fun. It's surprising how much you can do. There's like these the tally, the rally mode, toad rally mode remix mode there's this remix mode where 
it's the music remixed and there's this vocal woman singing and it's so terrible and they tell you up front that oh by the way you can listen to your own music in the music app and they do that because they know that people will hate this vocal performance of this lady so um anyway but pocket camp I've never really played a lot of Animal Crossing, but I've been digging it. It's fun. It's relaxing. You can pick it up and play as much or as little as you want, and it's fun. And I've been liking it. I'm I'm not a big... I haven't been a big mobile game player lately, but these two, maybe three games have been fun. So check it out if you want. Um, so for Edmund's sad stuff, items that bring me into financial... Oh, man, I haven't even done the movie beat. Oh, boy. I'm already at 57 minutes. Jesus. So items that have bring me and brung me into further financial ruin. I'll just recommend two things. Kaze and the Wild Masks, 30 bucks on Switch. I highly recommend it. You know, you can go the digital route or the physical route. I prefer physical. I believe they're both 30 bucks either way right now. Maybe you can wait for a sale. Um, and then I also, well, I'm going to talk about this at the end of the episode, but I bought this. I'll just talk about this at the end of the episode. That was a waste of time. Good job, self. Um, movie Beat. Hopefully, I can go pretty quickly over these. Movie Beat, I talk about movies which I've seen lately that are um, regardless of genre. Man, this episode's dumb. So, I, I, I get subscription notices from Quora, Quora.com to my email. Most of them are dumb because it's questions that most of the questions are dumb and you never know who or who's answering it. You don't know if it's like a, for all you know, it could be a freak or some sort of sex offender, but you don't know. But one of the questions I found interesting was what is the cringiest movie line? Here's my dog about to sing a little ballad. Keep it going. Keep it going, Callie. A little higher. Can you go higher than Mariah Carey? A little higher. Higher? Lower. Roller coaster of vocal cords. Bitch. Um, I love my dogs. Okay? I do. And they're female, so. So one of the questions was, what is the most cringiest movie line? And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So the answer was, the cringiest movie line I saw was in the theater when I watched the movie The Woodsman. And I thought it was interesting. So I watched the movie The Woodsman, 2004, starring Kevin Bacon. I watched it on Prime Video. It came out in 2004. Directed and co-written by Stephen Fechter. Actually... Directed by Nicole Castle and co-written with Stephen Fector and Nicole Castle. 
Steven Factor, his name is Blue. Of course, my internet is down. Jesus Christ. Okay, good thing I cl- so I ca- I can't click on Steven Factor because my internet is down. And that's fucking dumb. So I don't know what else Steven Factor has done or Nicole Castle, but the film stars Kevin Bacon as a convicted child molester who must adjust to life after prison. Its name refers to the woodsman from the fairy tale of Little Red Riding Hood who kills the wolf to save the tit yiller child. So, the movie The Woodsman is about Kevin Bacon. Well, I already said the synopsis, but he plays a former child molester who gets out of jail and he has to return to life. When he comes home, most of his friends and family have abandoned him because of what he did. The only one who really still talks to him is his brother-in-law, Benjamin Bratt, his sister's husband. He still has a friendly relationship for with him for whatever reason, but everyone else is like, fuck you, Bake. Fuck you for touching those girls. So he play he's very Kevin Bacon is really good in this role. He he's stoic. He's um He's very closed off and he doesn't talk much. And he gets a job at a lumber yard. And his supervisor is David Allen Greer in a small role. Um, Eve also works there as some sort of administrative um, position. <sighs> Internet's still down. Eve has a bigger role than David Allen Greer. I don't I didn't think she was great in this movie, but she, you know, small role, so whatever. And Kira Sedgwick, who is Kevin Bacon's what real life wife, she works at the lumberyard and she gets sexually harassed by a guy. The guy goes, "You look good enough to eat." It's like I w- I would I don't know I would never say that to anyone, not even my wife. Like, uh, do people really, do people still catcall? Like, like, hubba bubba. Um, I don't, I don't know. But, and then she like goes off on him. She's like, get the fuck away from me. How dare you talk to me like that, motherfucker? Whatever. And then, so Kevin Bacon approaches her and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, of course I'm okay. What the fuck does it look like? Anyway, so they develop a friendship, which quickly turns into a romance. And, you know, she has baggage and he has baggage. And then they sex it up. And, you know, it's a little weird to see a real life husband and wife sex it up. It's it's almost like watching porn of a of a real life relationship. It's like, this isn't porn. This is just two people in love fucking. That's it's not the same thing as porn. I'm sure it is, but anyway. So eventually she's like Kira Sedgwick tells him like I don't I, I'm not surprised easily. I'm not disturbed. I don't scare off. She's like what did you do? And he's always like why do you want to know? And then eventually he's like, 
I touch 12-year-old girls. And then she laughs because she thinks he's joking. And then he's like, it's not what you think. I didn't hurt him. So he justifies his actions because he didn't hurt them. He didn't force them. And he kind of has this attitude of, I, like, we'll get to it later on in the movie, but he doesn't force them. He doesn't hurt them. He asks them, and if they agree, you know, and that's how he justifies it. So his character is obviously very sick in the head, in the brain. Um, most deaf play... I don't I didn't think he was great in this role. He was fine, but he's trying to play a grizzled uh cop who comes into his apartment to Kevin Bake's apartment. He's like, "Sit, sit your ass down. Get your fucking hands out of your pocket." Um he was fine. Michael Shannon plays Kevin Bacon's therapist. In kind of a weird role because Michael Shannon seems the guy to be in very much need of therapy. Um, and that's how the story plays. Anyway, the the cringiest line in the movie is towards the end of the movie where he kind of develops a quote-unquote friendship with a 11-year-old girl who likes to bird watch at like the park or whatever. And he's sitting, Kevin Bake is sitting on a bench and the girl comes up to him. They start talking. They're kind of playful at first. And then, spoiler alert, spoiler alert for 2004's The Woodsman. He goes, would you like to sit on my lap? And then the girl's like, no, thank you. And then he's like, okay, doesn't matter. No problem. And she's like, my, my dad lets me sleep. My dad lets me sit on his lap. And he's like, do you like it when he does that? And she like starts to cry. And she's like, and she starts to cry. She's uncomfortable. And obviously the answer is like, no. And he's like, does he make you do it? Does he move his legs in funny ways? And eventually she's like, do you still want me to sit on your lap? I'll still do it. And then he's like, no. But then the weird thing about this movie. And let me see. Um, let me see if I can get the IMDb internet's back. Um I know I think Kevin Bake was a uh, produced by so Kevin Bacon was an executive producer on this um so at the end of this movie he, he first of all he gets an apartment across the street from a school an elementary school so he still has urge urges obviously and he has thoughts. He writes in a journal about his thoughts. And he looks out his window. He looks at the kids. But he also looks at this guy who's been watching them. And he nicknames him Candy. 
and this guy is obviously a, a predator, a pedophile, he sex offender or whatever. And Kevin Bacon like attacks this guy. Anyway, um and then at the end of the movie Most Def comes by and says, "Hey, there was a, an attack." But it turns out he was wanted in Virginia or whatever. And he's like, he notices a, a scratch on Kevin Bakes's face. And he decides not to press charges because he knows that Kevin Bacon attacked this sex offender. So at the end of the movie, he tries to talk to his sister, but the sister is still angry and storms off. And so the end of the movie, the Michael Shannon's like, these things take time. And he's like, I know, these things take time. And then he smirks a little bit, and then it fades to black, and that's credits. So I'm, I'm a little confused by this movie because I understand that because it, it's one-sided in its, its portrayal because it focuses on Kevin Bacon, right? So you you can't help but feel symp- sympathetic towards Kevin Bacon because he's the main character. And he is, quote-unquote, a, a good guy trying to rebuild his life after serving 12 years in prison. He gets an apartment, although it's right across from a school, he gets a job. Uh, also, I, there's a lot of s- slow... It's a slow burn of a movie, and there's a lot of scenes of chainsaws cutting into wood. And I wonder if that was a commentary on, like, I- if I cut off my penis, then the urges will stop. Maybe it's maybe I'm way off, but I couldn't help but think of it. Um, and... It's sympathetic towards Kevin Bacon. His character's name is Walter. But he's still a an offender, you know? And then, he, so he goes to work, and then Eve Googles his name and finds out that he's a sex offender, and then he lets, she lets everyone at the workplace know, so he gets attacked, and everyone comes after him. And on one hand, I don't blame them, but on the other like you know it's a dude trying to rebuild his life but then David Allen Greer comes to his defense and Kira Sedgwick comes to his defense so most people are against him he's like you better watch your back um, and he should because of his past defenses and it's a little one-sided because you, you're kind of meant to sympathize more with Walter and I think that is, she did kind of um, violate his privacy. And she's like, well, they ri- have a right to know. It's like, well, I don't know if that's true. Because there's no kids in the workplace. It's, so it's like, I, I don't know where the line is, you know. Um, and this was 12 years ago. So he like, he did his time. He came out of prison and he's... I know I'm talking circles, but he's trying to rebuild his life. So it's a little confusing because, and I know I've said 
at the end of the movie approximately 7 billion times at this point. But at the end of the movie, it's kind of this triumphant moment for him where he's like, I know it takes time and I feel like I'm doing good and I'm trying to do my best. But at the same time, he was talking to a little girl in the park and asked her to sit on his lap, which that's not right either, Kevin Bake. So I'm getting kind of a mixed message from this movie because I felt like it was oddly sympathetic, oddly almost pro-pedophile by the end of this movie. And I feel like you're not totally in the clear by the end of this movie because you still ask this little girl to sit on your lap. That's not right. Um, And yes, he refused it when he when he knew it was clear that she's kind of been abused on her own by her father and he no longer wanted her to sit on his lap and he attacked that guy who was a rapist or whatever. But your your conscience shouldn't be completely clear by the end of this movie, Kevin Bacon. So it was a little weird. But as a movie itself, I felt it very entertaining he was creepy. It was intense. Um, actor Colin Firth named Bacon's performance the best of the decade in an interview in 2010. The The movie is worth it to see for his performance, for sure. Uh, so I, I recommend it, but I do have mixed feelings on the message of it and there's nothing in the wikipedia the film was well received critically bacon's performance drawing praise there usually there's someone who says like well it's weird that the he's he's deemed the hero of the movie but he's also a pedophile uh so i don't know a little confusing but worth watching for sure um for some reason wikipedia recommends the hunt so i i'm interested i think pat walsh has has mentioned this directed by thomas vinterberg starring mads mickelson so i'll want to check that out the next movie i watched with my well it's called purple hearts 2022 romance film and i'm gonna say i watched it but Really, I watched most of it because I kind of missed the beginning of it and I didn't like the beginning. So I decided I didn't want to watch it with her and I wanted to go to sleep. So I missed some parts of the beginning of this, but I did watch most of it. Um, This is a romance film created for Netflix, directed by Elizabeth Ellen Rosenbaum. She has a bunch of things listed on her Wikipedia, a bunch of TV. Um, In terms of movies, she did Aquamarine, which I've seen the poster of a billion times. Ramona and Beezus, Careful What You Wish For, Sneakerella, and Purple Hearts. Um... You know, I felt like the beginning of this movie was clunky as fuck. You know, I I don't understand, like... So this is how they introduced the 
the characters of this movie. Um, the main character, Cassie, I think. Um, Cassie Salazar, played by Sophia Carson. She is a aspiring musician slash musician. And she also waitresses at the bar that she works at. And a bunch of Marines enter the bar. And then her friend is like, oh, great Marines. Or your favorite people are here. And then Cassie is like, oh, great Marines. So the, the main character talks to her. And immediately they're at odds with each other. And they're like... And he, you know, his friend's rude. His friend says a comment like, so it's okay for us to fight for your ass, but we can't touch it. Like, who talks like this? I, I guess people do talk like this, but I, I haven't been out of the house in 50 years. So I guess I don't know how people talk anymore, but what the fuck? And then, so this, the white boy played by Nicholas Galitzine um, says, I want to apologize for my friend. And then immediately they start arguing and he's like, I know exactly who you are. You drive a Lexus paid for by your parents. And when I meet any new person, I'm like, first of all, I don't talk to them ever. And it takes me five years to say any words to anyone. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? So do you like music? What's your favorite movie? What's the what's the last movie you saw in theater? I don't know. Maybe I'm so out of touch with humans. Just like, so you drive a Lexus, right? Uh, it's just felt so weird and unbelievable. It just didn't feel natural to me. And I, I don't relate to that. Um, But anyway, the, the story of this, uh, if you've seen the preview, is Sophia, Car uh, Sophia Carson... Let me just get this out of the way. Never heard of her, never seen her. I found her to be insanely attractive. Okay, let's move on. She, like I said, she's an aspiring musician, but she's diabetic. She's young and she can barely, she's working a bunch of jobs, food delivery, um, in addition to her waitressing job. And she can't afford her meds. And so she talks to her friend who's in the Marines, who she used to babysit. And she's like, will you marry me? And he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, well, you know, I found out that there's this program where if we get married, there I can get free health insurance for a year. Da, 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 da. And then the white boy is like, let me stop you right there. This is fraud. If you get caught, you could be da, 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 da. And... But then there's this weird subplot with the white boy where he's like, he owes a bunch of money to his dealer, 15 grand, but he's clean now and goes to the Marines. And that subplot was very weird, very shoehorned in. But at the same time, it was probably necessary because he needs 15 grand. So he decides to go in halvesies with her. And they'll split the money. So he'll give money to his dealer and she'll have money. She'll have health insurance for her diabetes. 
And that's basically the story. And they pretend they get married. They pretend to be married. Well, they are married. And she reaps benefits, but they develop a friendship. And she, her music career kind of slowly blows up over time. And I guess that's a poor choice of words because, um, what's his name? Luke Morrow, his leg blows up at the same time that her career blows up. So he ends up getting sent home because he had an IED explosion and his leg gets busted up. So he comes home and his his father, who's he's estranged from because of his past, you know, he gets involved and they have to play husband and wife for real. Well, you know, they have to fake it, but they have to fake it in front of her dad, who is former, I don't know, Marine police or something. So he's like a stickler for the truth and fraud. And so they have to play house together. And meanwhile, her career continues to grow and they have personal obstacles at home and he you know the, that that's the story I, I will say like by the end of this movie I was I felt invested in both of the main characters I, I wanted it to work out for both of them um, I don't think it was directed particularly well I don't think it was edited well. It was a little weird, but the performances were fine. I li- I liked Sofia Carson a lot. Nicholas Gaylitzian, I thought he was fine too. I thought he was good. Performances were good. I felt like some of the politics were just weird and kind of shoehorned into it. Like the first inter uh, encounter between, Arm- I think his name is Armando and Cassie. It just felt weird. I just feel like I didn't want to hear about politics in a romantic drama. It's like, it just felt weird to me. I don't know. I also don't like politics, so. Um, those parts were weird. I, I turned to my wife's like, do you like this? I don't like politics. So that's the re- kind of reason why I was tuning out of the movie. But by the end, like I said, I was invested in both of the characters and I liked it. I liked them together i think the movie's pretty panned but um i i liked it i think i liked it more than my wife as per usual um i i would recommend it it's it's not a bad movie um it's not great most of these romantic dramas or romantic comedies none of them are really solid like moonshot watch moonshot Very solid, very good, very comforting, um, feel-good romantic comedy uh, with a dash of sci-fi. But Purple Hearts, like, I liked it. I liked it overall. And, but like that, there were scenes that were almost like thriller horror when he walks into her mom's house and Jono was there and he broke in to send a message and I'm like, the, the tonal switches in this movie are weird. Also, Cassie Salazar is supposed to be poor. But if I'm not mistaken, I believe she lives in, in an oceanside 
apartment. And I don't mean, well, I do mean the city Oceanside, but I also mean Ocean View apartment. So there's a scene where her, where his dad comes to pick him up for PT. And he, he makes this judgmental like, oh my God, she's so poor. But there are scenes when he's waking up in the morning in a wheelchair and he's looking at the ocean view apartment. I'm like, what the fuck? But, you know, those are minor quibbles. And, you know, there's the meet cute at the end of the movie where he's going to go away. Also, he violated military law and he goes away for six months. Like six months. That's like. It's nothing. Like a useless, the shortest useless educational certificate is longer than six months. Anyway, um, Tony Canal. The music is done by Blake Neely and Tony Canal. Tony Canal's from No Doubt, so that's interesting. Um. Anyway, Purple Hearts. She lives, she's very poor, but she lives in an ocean view apartment and they get a, do- a very beautiful dog named Peaches. Um, I liked it. I believe it's panned, but I liked it. Um, recommended, not a high recommend, but recommended. And the final, I'm at an hour and 25 minutes. Um, The final movie I want to talk about in the movie beat is Tower Heist. 2011 Tower Heist, which is infamous if you're a fan of We'll See You in Hell because Joe likes the movie. He thinks it's funny, but Pat made fun of him endlessly for owning Tower Heist. So eventually Joe mentioned that Pat shamed him out of it. So he got rid of his copy of tower heist i don't know if he gave it away threw it away sold it i don't know but i watched Tower the the reason i i saw it on netflix i saw the thumbnail and the only reason i watched tower heist is because i <laughs> i wasn't gonna watch it because even with the infamousness even if the infamy of we'll see you in hell i had no interest in watching it but I saw in the thumbnail, I was like, is that Casey Affleck? So I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Casey Affleck in a comedy. So I was like, I clicked on it basically because I saw Casey Affleck in the thumbnail for this comedy. So I, I watched it. Um, this was directed by Brett Ratner of Rush Hour fame. Also of X-Men, The Last Stand fame. Also at this point of Me Too fame. (laughs) Um, Written by Ted Griffin and Jeff Nathanson, I'm not familiar with. Based on a story by Bill Collage, Adam Cooper, and Griffin. Starring, listen to the... Listen to the, the, the cast in this thing. Ben Stiller, Eddie Murphy. Casey Aff. Ellen Olda, Matthew Broderick, Judd Hirsch, Taya Leone, Michael Pena, Gabare Sidibe. Um, I don't recognize these. 
Stephen McKinley Henderson as Lester. I don't recognize the actor's name, but he was very good. His character was lovable. Nina Arianda as Miss Iovenko, the receptionist, the Russian lawyer in training who I recognize as Ethel in Being the Ricardos. Marsha Jean Kurtz as Rose Diamato. I don't recognize the character name or the actor name, but I just wanted to say it. Robert Downey Sr.? What the fuck? Oh, man. Robert Downey Jr.'s dad died only last year. Um, he was the... Uh, judge Ramos, a judge who resides in the tower. Kate Upton. I, I think I thought that was her, but, um, I guess I didn't recognize her. Probably an unspeaking role, non-speaking role. Um, heavy D as a court courthouse guard. Um, I'm not too familiar with Heavy D, but on Wikipedia it says he he died in 2011. Um, he died from a pulmonary embolism caused by a blood clot in a leg. He also suffered from heart disease. Jesus. He died over 10 years ago. That sucks. Um, so if you've never seen Tower Heist, Tower Heist is a heist comedy film where Ben Stiller works as a hotel manager. And the introduction to the movie is pretty cool. And, you know, I got to say Brent Ratner, despite his Me Too, and I, I didn't hate Last Stand X-Men, I need to watch it again. I, I want to watch it again, but I want to watch like all of them. Just cause I don't want to watch X3 out of nowhere. But I didn't hate it. I liked it fine. And Rush Hour, Rush Hour 1 and 2 are some of the best action comedies in the past, however long ago that was. He makes good movies and Tower Heist... So Ben still the introduction is very good. Ben Stiller is going around talking to all of his staff. He's very good at his job, and he basically works as at a a very affluent hotel where a bunch of rich people live, and he takes care of everything. And um, basically, Alan Alda, I forget what he's a high-powered guy, a very rich guy. Wall Street businessman and he um, he takes off and Ben Stiller thinks it's a kidnapping but really he was trying to flee and it's because he took money of well Ben Stiller asks him to invest people's pension portfolio and he basically took all the money and stole it um so Ben Stiller believes that there's like a $20 million stashed away by Alan Alda inside the hotel. So that's the heist. So Ben Stiller, um, he recruits his ragtag team 
to try to steal this $20 million because eventually they get fired from their jobs, but they have, they know everything about the hotel and they have connections. So they're like, we're going to steal. So Ben Stiller is the leader of this ragtag team. He recruits Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is always great. And he had my first laugh and probably the biggest laughs in the movie. The first laugh, Ben Stiller walks by him and Eddie Murphy is like, you walk me, you walk by me one more time. I'm a whoop your ass. And every time he yells like that, it's always funny. Casey Affleck is Ben Stiller's brother-in-law. He also works at the hotel. Um, Matthew Broderick is a tenant at the hotel who is bankrupt. Judd Hirsch is a the the hotel's general manager. Taya Leone is a FBI agent. Michael Pena is an elevator operator. Gabrielle Sidibe works. She plays a Jamaican-born maid, and she's good at um, cracking locks, breaking locks. So he recruits her onto the team. Taya Leone is not part of the team, and neither is Judd Hirsch. I messed up what I was saying. This podcast sucks. Anyway, um, so the basic gist of the story is Ben Stiller recruits this ragtag team to try to infiltrate the hotel and steal 20 million dollars because alan aldous he's rich and he got richer by stealing all their money and then lester gave him all of his money seventy-three thousand dollars, all of his life savings so he could you know try to get rich or try to get more money and retire and he ends up trying to commit suicide because he lost all of his money I thought the the movie was pretty funny. It has scattered laughs in it, and it's entertaining. It's well made. Like I said, Brett Brett Radner makes solid movies despite his Me Too stuff. And you know, Eddie Murphy, like I said, always funny. But one of the biggest laughs I had was the um, Gauntlet of Lesbians line. So, <laughs> so Ben Stiller's trying to tell the ragtag team about the plan and he's like there's a gauntlet of employees that you have to get through and he has like a powerpoint slideshow and eddie murphy is like who's that girl in the red because she has she has some nice titties i'd like to play with pardon my language but it's a quote from the movie um i'd probably say that regardless that's not true maybe it is um so and then Casey Affleck says, "Oh, that's that's Libby from account, or that's Libby from sales. She is a lesbian." And then Matthew Broderick was like, "Libby's a lesbian." He's like, "Yes, she makes lesbian lesbian sex with Roberta from accounting." And he's like, "Roberta's a lesbian." And then Eddie Murphy, who's a thief, he plays a thief, a criminal in the movie. So I only say that because his language is colorful and funny. He's like. Lesbian titties are much better than straight girl titties because men be pulling and pushing and grabbing, but lesbian titties are touched tenderly and they're all fresh. And then Ben Stiller's like, can we get back to topic? Did you hear anything I just said? And then ben, um, Casey Affleck's like, yeah, you just said we have to get through the gauntlet of lesbians. 
I messed up the line, but anyway, the I thought the movie was pretty funny and pretty good. It was a fun watch. It's a fun fun watch. I I think it's a recommend. You know, I I don't know why Pat. Well, I it's it feels like a fun movie to make fun of. Like it's funny to say you like Tower Heist or you own the Tower Heist Blu-ray. It's funny to say that, but if you watch it, it's actually a pretty well put together, fun, scattered laughs, funny movie. Um, I say check it out. Let's look at the critical response. Sixty-eight percent approval rating. Six out of ten. Um, little brains to this caper, but it's fun, fluff, exciting to watch, and showcases a welcome return to form for Eddie Murphy. I mean, that's fun. That's accurate. Um, a tolerably enjoyable Brett Ratner movie. Brash, forgettable, fun. Um... He criticized Ratner for having the mostly white characters require the aid of a black character for the heist, saying, It's a little embarrassing that they can't conceive of doing this without bailing a black criminal out of jail, but cultural sensitivity has never been Ratner's strong suit. Um, Fair point. Eddie Murphy is playing a black character who they have to break out of jail fair point but you know at the same time eddie murphy agreed to be agreed to play the role he's funny in it he brings a lot of laughs and he got paid 7.5 mil so it's like where's the problem here um i don't know i liked it tower heist received two naacp image award nominations for outstanding motion picture and outstanding actor in a motion picture for eddie murphy so, if the NAACP has no problem with it, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand humanity anymore. Okay, finally, at an hour and 38 minutes into this podcast, let's talk about Street Fighter Two, the animated movie. So, to add to my stuff that I was saying earlier... My stuff's about to fall. God. Um, Edmund, sad stuff. I purchased Street Fighter II, the animated movie collector's edition, completely uncut and in high definition for the first time. Um, I don't really know what makes this a collector's edition, but that's fine. Interesting because... It has one of those cardboard sleeves on it. And so you have Ryu, or in the movie, he he's pronounced Ryu. I always said Ryu. I don't know. Chun-Li, Ken, and then Cammy's on the front. And Cammy has a pretty small role in the movie, which is unfortunate, but... You know, whatever. But Cammy's on the front cover of this thing, which is interesting. And she's also on the back, which is also interesting. The weak lose and the strong win. Will the world warriors triumph or die? 
Get Your Quarters Ready, The Ultimate Punch Fest, remastered and uncut for the first time. So some of the features, it says features go for broke. I don't know what that means, but new high definition widescreen transferred uncensored and uncut original Japanese version with new English subtitles. Every English version, US and UK, restored and remastered. I don't know what that means. Maybe they have different voice actors for the UK version and different voice actors for the US version. That wouldn't make sense to me. English version opening and closing credits. SF2, the animated movie Japanese game footage. Title list ending, isolated score, production art, liner notes, and trailers. Those are the special features on this Blu-ray. So, I think one of the reasons why I was interested in this movie is because YouTube constantly recommends to me the Chun-Li and Vega fight. And I think I saw a little bit of it, but I was like, I don't, I don't want to watch this clip. I want to watch the whole movie. And let me check on... Because this movie is not cheap, and I don't really know why. Line or two animated. The Blu-ray new is going currently on the Amazon US store for $29.58. Um, I don't know why it's that expensive, but it is. Most Blu-rays, I will say, is around $20, maybe $24, $25. But um, uh, $30, bucks, it, I understand it is a lot for a Blu-ray, but I am glad I own it. I am, I, <laughs> I'm checking a scene now on Amazon Prime because there... There's a bit of controversy with this movie. Actually, I'm not sure if it's controversy, but it, it this this Blu-ray on the cover it keeps boasting that it's uncensored and uncut. And there's a scene in this movie that shocked that shocked me a little bit. But it's a scene of Chun-Li taking a shower. All right. Now, if you're a sick pervert, who wants to see Chun-Li taking a shower. Um, you see her nude in this movie. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm looking at the Prime Video version. And I'm waiting to see if they show it. Because they show it on the Blu-ray. And it, sh it shocked me a little just because I wasn't expecting to see it. Okay, they, it's on, it's right there. A few seconds worth on the Prime Video. Hold on, let me see. Um, Prime Video. Dot com. Internet's down. God damn it. Um. Anyway, well, when I checked it on Prime Video, the streaming version Prime Video on the U.S. store, it, it's showing her nude. Which, if you're a sick pervert, you might like. But we don't tolerate that 
on this program. Anyway, I should probably talk about the movie. So the basic gist of this movie is that, you know, M. Bison is this powerful, evil leader. And he is the head of this... It's it's spelled Shadaloo. Shadaloo Corporation. It's this shady group. And... When I started this movie, it opens with a an epic fight between Ryu. Should I say Ryu? I really want to say Ryu. Ryu and um, Sagat. Sagat? Sagat, Sagat. So I considered trying to watch this with the English audio, right? But at the end of the introduction sequence... Um, Ryu does a I'm just going to quickly I'm sorry I'm just going to how do you pronounce Ryu Ugh, internet down damn it um they say it Ryu in the show but I I've said it Ryu my whole life and I I, f- I feel like it, I'm betraying myself even though I'm betraying I'm possibly betraying the culture and language of Japan by saying Ryu so, at the end of this introduc- introductory sequence, Ryu is going to do his famous fireball, Hadouken. And if I'm not mistaken, I tried watching it in English, and he just goes, "Yeah," in the English version. But I turn on the subtitles, and the subtitles said Hadouken. So I rewound it, and I changed it to Japanese audio and it said and the Japanese audio said Hadoken so I'm like if the English version is gonna go yeah and the Japanese version is gonna go Hadoken I'm gonna want that Japanese audio maybe I'm mistaken maybe I misheard it but for about 90% of this movie I watched it with the Japanese audio with English subtitles which I think is, for me at least, is the appropriate way to watch it. I just prefer it for the most part because it was made in Japan and that was the original intention. But it it all comes down to preference. Like, I'm not going to punch you in the mouth for wanting to watch anime in English audio. Um, and so, basically, M. Bison... And I I mentioned that controversy with the language because towards the end of the movie, I changed to English audio and Chun-Li, actually in the movie, they they pronounce it Chun-Li. Chun-Li, I, I'm going back to my childhood memories when I was a kid and I was like, oh, there's Ryu and Ken and Chun. I used to say Chun-Li. So just be thankful I'm not saying Chung Li anymore. But Chun Li says he she pronounces like Shadow Law. They're, so they're like the Shadow Law headquarters was destroyed. So I don't know if it's pronounced Shadowlu or Shadow Law. I'm sorry. I don't even know why I said I'm sorry. It's like Canadian pronunciation. I'm sorry. 
But so basically, M. Bison is the leader of this shadow law corporation syndicate. And his team consists of Sagat, Vega, and unfortunately, Balrog, which I was a little bummed about because I liked the live action when Balrog was a good guy and he teamed up with Edmund Honda and Chun-Li. So it was a little sad to see Balrog as a bad guy. But what are you going to do? Maybe I think he was a bad guy in the original game, unfortunately. Um, and M. Bison has psycho powers, and I didn't really understand the explanation for that. If they did explain it, he just has these really powerful psycho powers, and he wants to make the ultimate warrior. So he wants to find the strongest fighter in the world and make them in he use his psycho powers to make them into the most powerful warrior so i guess he'll become unstoppable i guess is the point so he employs these cyborgs and he puts them all over the world they basically look like these tall humanoid cyborg robots with a robotic eye that transmits everything they see back to the shadow law um headquarters and one of the cyborgs was recording the data between sagat and ryu and ryu had like his he scored like the his power score or whatever was 3600 and this scientist that is working with M. Bison is like, most fighters don't go past 2,000. I don't know how he scored a 3,600. So they're like, well, keep looking for Ryu because after this big fight with Sagat, he disappeared. Ryu disappeared for some reason. And so what's fun about this movie is it goes around the world. It goes to Seattle. It goes to China. It goes to India, I think, probably Thailand, Um, It goes to a bunch of places in the world where people are fighting and you can see some of the signature moves from the game. And I remember from special features in the live action Street Fighter, they were like, Steven D'Souza, the director and writer, he was like, I was concerned because I wanted to get actors, but I was concerned that they would have to learn martial arts. But then I realized that most of the moves from the game were not rooted in reality. But the fun thing about anime is they can do whatever they want. So they can have a fight between Dalsim and Edmund Honda. And Dalsim can whoosh, a horizontal whoosh across and attack Edmund Honda. Like it's nothing because it's animation. And then there's a fight between... Zengif or Zangief against Blanca, which was pretty fun in Vegas, I believe. And Blanca is doing, he's like sp- doing his spin attacks. He's biting Zangif. Zangif does the spinning, spinning pile driver. And then Blanca does his electrical attack. And like planes, trains, and automobiles, when he turns skeletal for a few seconds, 
um, Zangief, Zangif turns skeletal for a few seconds. So it's fun stuff. And then Ryu is the main character. And as opposed to the live action Street Fighter where Guile is pretty much the main focus. In this movie, Ryu is the main character. Um, and they show flashbacks between him and Ken. And I guess they trained for many... They don't really... Or I, I missed the timeline, but I'm assuming they trained for years on this mountain by the same trainer, teacher, sensei. And they trained how to be spiritual and how to be strong martial artists. And they kind of show a short um, origin scene of how Ryu got the the red band on his... Like, he started bleeding, and Ken gave him, I guess, part of... I don't know where he grabbed it from, but he grabbed a, a red piece of cloth and then tied it to Ryu's head because his head was bleeding. So they have a a, a deep friendship, a deep bromance possibly a deep romance probably not um between the two of them and they show it in flashbacks which was kind of cool and um i'm looking at the the voice cast just to look at the character list character list so ken is like He's still fighting, but not really in street fights. He thinks like there's nothing to prove in the street. He's fighting in, I guess, official championships. and But he still has this unresolvedness with Ryu. And Ken's like, where are you, Ryu? Like, we have unfinished business. We have unresolved issues. So he wants to, like, meet up with him and fight again, I guess. I don't know. They have a rivalry, but they have a very tight, like I said, friendship, bromance as well. Chun-Li is working for Interpol. And what's funny is about all these characters is I love that all the characters are dressed in their traditional video game costumes. But Chun-Li is like interviewing Cammy in an Interpol office and they're both still wearing their trademark costumes, which is very funny to me. Guile is in the Air Force and Chun-Li is trying to get Guile to work with them to fight against M. Bison. Um, Vega in Japan? What does that mean? His name is Vega in Japan? This is weird. It says... M. Bison, Vega in Japan, Vega, Balrog in Japan, Balrog, M. Bison in Japan. I don't know if they're referring to the voice actors and the voices or or the character names. I'm not sure. But So like I said, Sa- Sagat, Vega, and Balrog work for M. Bison. Edmund Honda is just, he's a street fighter. Um, fighting Dalsim in a battle. Cammy, she has a a short but cool scene where she assassinates some lawmaker or something coming out of a law room. But she was um, mind controlled, and she has a, f- a very cool fight scene. 
um but it's very short and then after that she's like i don't remember i don't remember what i did and that that's it so it's kind of weird that she's featured in the blu-ray cover fail what's weird is i just saw a um let's hope my internet works if you google street fighter 2 animated Brian Cranston shows up as the voice of Fei Long, but I guess they did a couple versions of it because looking at the Wikipedia, it just says Fei Long, the Japanese seiyu is Masakatsu Funaki, and then the English voice actor is Phil Williams. What the fuck? But if you click on it, it says Brian Lee Cranston. What the... I don't know what that's I don't know what that means. Um It's it says Phil Williams Fay Long Blue. You click on it and it it takes you to Brian Cranston's Wikipedia page. So I don't I don't I I don't know. I don't have an explanation for that. Let me see if I could find anything on the IMDb page. Um stars Uh, this is just dead air. God damn it. They use different names? That's fucking confusing. Uh, so I don't know the... I'm sure there's a reason for this, but... It appears that these actors used different names. I, I, I don't know why. Ken, the voice is Eddie Frierson as Ted Richards. Leah, um, Chun-Li is voiced by Leah Sargent, credited as Mary Briscoe. Um, Bison was voiced by Tom Weiner- credited as Phil Matthews. Guile was voiced by Kirk Thornton, credited as Donald Lee. DJ was voiced by Bo Billingsley, credited as John Hammond. Um, Fay Long was voiced by Brian Cranston, credited as Phil Williams. I, I'm sure there's a reason for that. I, I have no insight into that. Uh, that was very weird. Uh, threw me for a loop i figured there was um there was different versions or different recordings because they do that sometimes but no it just listed as phil williams but it's brian cranston i don't know anyway so M. bison is is using these cyborgs to look for the greatest fighter in the world and he's going to make it into a super warrior. So they're constantly looking for Ryu. But Ryu is this traveling Japanese traveler. And so they can't find him anywhere. He's kind of... I don't, I don't think he's going into hiding because every time someone asks him his name, he's immediately he's like, I'm Ryu. So he's not hiding. And... Um, the scientist or someone finally realizes 
we found we found this fighter named Ken and we found like according to the analytics and the data we found that he has a very similar fighting style to Ryu and looking further into it we found that they've trained on the same mountain by the same sensei for years so he's probably as strong as Ryu so you could use him as your super soldier so that's how they recruit Ken and basically at the end of this movie it ends up with a, a showdown on a mountain I mean there's a ton of stuff I'm skipping there is this infamous scene between Chun-Li and Vega where Vega goes to her apartment and for whatever reason they're in this uncut scene there is Chun-Li nude taking um, a shower and she's nude so I'm looking at the Wikipedia English version 1995 home video version two English dubbed versions were released directly to VHS and Laserdisc in 1995 in North America a tamer PG-13 version and an uncut and an unrated cut which contains, among other things, a slightly more revealing shower scene featuring Chun-Li that is still censored from the original Japanese version. Um, I, don't, I don't know why the Japanese version is censored. So there's a 2006 DVD version. An uncut, uncensored, unleashed DVD version of the movie was released in North America on July 18, 2006 and addresses the complaints made about the censored English versions of the film in 1995, unlike the previous unrated version released in the U.S., which was still censored. This release is uncut from the original Japanese version and for the first time for non-Japanese releases of the movie, contains the original Japanese soundtrack in addition to the English soundtrack, both featuring a new ba-ba-la-ba-ba-ba. Um, so, where was I? So there is this infamous scene. Vega goes to Chun-Li's house. She's showering, she's nude, and then she gets out of the shower, and there's this epic fight between Vega and Chun-Li, and it's it's pretty cool. The fi- I, I guess I should talk about the movie. The fight scenes in this movie are pretty cool. You know, and it's anime. Um, they know what they're doing. And I, I'm sure there are anime with bad fight scenes in it. But this has pretty cool fight scenes. And the fight scene between Chun-Li and Vega is pretty epic. And, I mean, I know why YouTube keeps recommending it to me. It's because it's very cool. But I hope people who see the scene... Um, seek out the actual movie and, you know, support this movie. Um, Street Fighter Anniversary Collector's Box. A Blu-ray release was included with the Street Fighter Anniversary Collector's Box set, which was released on September 18, 2012. However, the movie is presented in standard definition and contains no nudity. 2013 Kaze release. The film was released with a fresh transfer on Blu-ray, by Kaze in France. Um, 
but releases but features the full uncut video including the chun li shower scene intact i guess this shower scene is like a big deal because this wikipedia page keeps mentioning it you know who also keeps mentioning it me um but this fight takes a lot out of chun li she gets injured pretty badly so she ends up in the hospital Guile takes her to the hospital. And unfortunately, Chun-Li is out of commission for the rest of the movie, which I thought sucks because I like Chun-Li a lot. She might be my favorite character. But the movie ends with this kind of epic showdown where Guile finds... Well, there there is... I'm sorry, I'm jumping back all over the place. But there is a clockwork orange type sequence, a movie I haven't seen before, but I, I know of this sequence, where um, M. Bison kind of abducts Ken with his psycho, his powerful psycho powers and kind of chains him down and subjects him to these this footage over and over like focus on your rivalry rivalry with Ryu and he he makes him into this super soldier mind controlled and there's this epic showdown on the mountain where Guile takes his helicopter to the mountain and he finds E Honda and um Ryu and he tries to tell him, they've abducted Ken. Shadow Law has abducted Ken. And he's like, what? What have they done with Ken? And then M. Bison was like, they're trying to get to Ryu before I do. So Ken or M. Bison comes to the mountain with the mind-controlled Ken. And Ken is fighting. Ken is fighting Ryu. Ken is mind-controlled. And Ryu is like, it's me, Ryu. Wake up. It's me, Ryu. And Guile is fighting M. Bison, but M. Bison is all psycho-powered out. E. Honda is fighting Balrog. So there's this, like, showdown between all the fighters, which I wish, I wish, Jesus, I wish everyone would have showed up, like Chun-Li and Vega. Like, I wish for the last battle, Chun-Li and Vega rematched, and they're like, Vega would be like, I'm going to finish what I I couldn't before and then they'd fight again but no Vega is out of commission because he fell out of her apartment and he's probably seriously injured and the NYPD got him or Interpol got him or something Chun-Li is stuck in the hospital because she is injured Cammy's still recovering from the mind control I think M. Bison sent Sagat to kill Cammy and Vega so, like, half of the cast is out of commission for the last scene, which is unfortunate for me, which kind of sucks. Um, but then the last showdown, you know, E. Honda, well, M. Bison kind of kicks Guile's ass, so Guile's injured. And then E. Honda and Balrog kind of tumble off the mountain, so they're out. So it ends up between being a fight between Ken and Ryu. But Ryu keeps saying, um, wake up, wake up, uh, wake up, go on, put on the makeup. And then um, Ken finally snaps out of it. 
And then M. Bison is like, you're a failure. So he, he kind of beats up Ken and he beats up Ryu. But then Ryu and Ken team up. And, you know, friendship is power. And they end up defeating M. Bison. Here's another weird thing. At the climactic fight scene between Chun-Li and Vega, there's this weird, like, slow orchestral ballad that's playing. And I gotta be honest, it is kind of weird. And same thing when there's this climactic fight between Ken and Ryu and M. Bison. There's... There's this like slow ballady, almost like a pop ballad going on. And I think this just has to do with a culture difference between Japan and English speaking countries, I'm guessing, because there there must be a reason why there's a Japanese score and an English score. And I got to say, I prefer the English score just because I was listening to the M. Bison final track and it was like this ballad. I'm like, I'm not digging this. And then I switched to English towards the end and there's this like rock ballad with, or not ballad, but like an epic rock, like chugging, like dun dun like that kind of thing where it kind of pl- gets your pulse up. And I prefer that to the Japanese score. And again, it comes down to preference. Um, so I did change to English towards the end. I prefer the English score, but in terms of voice acting, I prefer the Japanese voice acting. Because at the end, you know, there's this weird scene between Guile and Chun-Li where Chun-Li, Guile thinks Chun-Li's dead. And then she's, she wakes up and he's like, Oh, you want to play tricks on me? Come here, I'm going to tickle you to death, you bitch. Well, he doesn't say that, but it's kind of corny. right? It sounds a little corny. So at the end of the movie, again, Ken and Ryu go their separate ways. And like, why don't you guys just hang out and be buds and get a fucking apartment together and eat lunch together and eat dinner and play video games together? Why do you have to separate? But, you know, that's what happens. Um, so Ken hangs out with his girl, a potential fiance, and Ken's like, you want to ride? And Ryu's like, I prefer to walk. So he's like, when we meet again, he's like, you've gotten stronger. You too. So they go their separate ways and Ryu's walking, credits roll. And then there's this truck that's appears to be driven by M. Bison and he's trying to run over Ryu, but Ryu spins and he's like, credits or more credits. The end credits, it's, it's interesting because I still had the English subtitles on. So I believe the end credits in the English score is blind by corn. And the English subtitles says, Hooray to the Street Fighter. So I switched to the Japanese score and it's like this, again, it's like a pop ballad with a female singer like, Hooray to the Street Fighter. And then you switch to the English score and it's like a corn song. 
basically like hard rock sounding. So it's it's interested that they they did that, but you know, overall the movie is pretty cool. I I recommend I recommend checking it out. Um, I feel like this the live action I had fun with, but it's fun like there is a camp factor, but it was still pretty fun, and some parts were funny, but this there's there's not there's no comedy in it maybe very slight but it was it's very fun in a different way fun in a more serious way and it's fun seeing your favorite street fighter characters in costume doing their signature moves and their signature attacks so i would highly recommend it um this movie came out in 1994 which predates well, actually, um, it came out August 1994. So I'm just going to calculate um, 2022 minus 1994. So we just passed the 28th anniversary of this movie, which is pretty crazy. But this predates the live action Street Fighter by a couple months. Actually, at the end of this movie, at the very end of the credits, there's a if a short blurb that says street fighter filming in hollywood now directed by steven d'souza starring john claude van damme and raul julia so they were really trying to hype the live act like i guess street fighter 2 was huge during this time because you know this animated movie came out the the video game came out in 1991 so the 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 video game is still huge i know there's tournaments and stuff i'm i'm very bad at the game but i enjoy it and i enjoy the characters and the and the culture around it this movie according to wikipedia did very well um let me see if i can find it quickly um, the film was a critical and commercial success. Group TAC or Group TAC later produced another loose adaptation of the Street Fighter II game, the anime series Street Fighter II V or Street Fighter II V. Though unrelated to the film, a handful of anime's voice actors reprised their roles for their English dub of the series produced after ADV film's dub and then a live action film street fighter was released on december 23 1994 in the united states and may 6 1995 in japan by universal pictures and columbia pictures let's see oh here it is a post credits message promotes a japan spring 1995 release for the street fighter live action film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and the late Raoul Julia. Um, a lot of controversy between uncut and um, uncensored versions. Reception. At the Japanese box office, the film grossed more than $16 million, becoming one of 1994's top five highest grossing films in Japan. It earned a distributor rental income of 700 million yen in Japan, 
adjusted for inflation, its Japanese gross is equivalent to approximately 29 million doll hairs. In the, in the United States, the home video release sold close to 500,000 copies Copies of two versions, unrated and PG-13. One of these versions sold 200,000 copies in the United States. One of these versions sold 200,000 copies in the United States. Why don't you say which one? Why do you have to say one of these versions? Um, there was a manga adaptation, Legacy. The movie served as the basis for Street Fighter Alpha. Many elements and character designs were integrated into the future games of the series, the Street Fighter Alpha series in particular. The film's final battle is loosely adapted into Ryu's story in Street Fighter Alpha 3, where Ryu's sub-boss is a brainwashed Ken whom he must defeat before facing Bison. The film's success also led to the production of a television series, Street Fighter 2 V or 5, and another animated film, Street Fighter Alpha the Animation. While neither are set in the same continuity as the film, the anime's English dubs featured a handful of actors reprising their roles from the film. Though it was preceded by Fatal Fury, the motion picture, by one month, the movie's positive reception also led to the production of several anime adaptations of different fighting video game series such as Tekken the Motion Picture, Battle Arena Toshinden, Night Warriors, Darkstalkers Revenge, and Samurai Showdown the Motion Picture, though none reached the critical success of Street Fighter II, the animated movie. Um... So I I recommend checking this movie out. Um, if you can swing for the Blu-ray, definitely check out the Blu-ray. But if you can find it streaming, let me just check out justwatch.com Street Fighter 2. Um, so it's on Prime Video. If you're a if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, it's on the Roku channel with ads. It's free on Vudu with ads. It's on Tubi with ads. The fuck is Viewster? You can. There's a bunch of ways to stream it. You can rent it for a dollar ninety nine on Amazon or Vudu. You can buy it streaming on Amazon or Vudu. But again, it's on Prime Video. Um, like I said, on Prime Video, on my account, of course it's not going to work now, but apparently the streaming version of this movie is uncensored because you could see the, ch <laughs> this is the, what, 15th time that I've mentioned this scene. I'm just surprised because on the Wikipedia page, there was such a hubbub of censored and uncensored versions. But the prime video version that I am I'm checking out right now, again, you can see the uncensored scene. You see Ch <laughs> Chun-Li nude 
in the shower. She is showering nude. Um, I'm sure you could just Google the scene and find it anyway, and you don't have to go through the trouble of buying it or streaming or owning the movie. But I, hi- I highly recommend checking out the movie. The movie is very cool for all the reasons I've stated throughout this episode. Um, it's a very solid anime, fighting anime, and you get to see all your favorite characters. So check it out. Um, what else was I going to say? I guess, again, like on Just Watch, you see the thumbnail for Street Fighter 2, the animated movie. Cammy, like wh- why is... Because she's hot, I guess, but you have M. Bison in the background, followed by Ken, Ryu, Chun-Li, and Cammy. Like, Guile has a much bigger role in this movie than Cammy. But Cammy does have a very cool short fight scene. Um, let me... Qu- I'm at 2 hours 20 minutes. I'm going to look up Street Fighter. It is the highest grossing fighting game media franchise of all time at 12.2 US billion dollars, including 500,000 arcade unit sales. Um, The Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection, which I have on Switch. Um, You know, I'm not too familiar with Street Fighter. I'm really only... I guess I, like most people, I'm most familiar with Street Fighter 2, the classic um, characters. I didn't even like the, the new challengers. Like, there is a a Native American character in this animated movie who goes up against Ken. And I don't believe they mention his name in the movie. But um, T-Hawk or Thunderhawk, he, he, all right, here's on the Wikipedia. He also makes a small appearance in Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, in which he travels to America to seek out and defeat Ken Masters. During the fight, T-Hawks makes it clear that he has heard of Ryu, and though he appears enraged when Ken claims that he is not as challenging as an opponent as Ryu, T-Hawk implies a desire to find and fight Ryu. Despite landing some good blows, T-Hawk is defeated and he develops a new respect for Ken, but this brief fight is observed by one of Shadow Law's monitor cyborgs and provides Bison with information about Ken's backstory with Ryu, leading him to seek out and recruit Ken and Ryu's stead. Um... There's a Street Fighter animated series, apparently. Looks terrible. Um, There was two seasons from 1995 to 1997. Maybe I should seek that out, or maybe I shouldn't. Um, I wanted to look at the the later games. So there's Street Fighter 3 that's still in the 90s. But what about Street Fighter 4? Um, Street Fighter 4. It was released on 
Arcade, plays PS3, Xbox 360, Microsoft Windows, iOS, Android, PS4, Xbox One, 3DS. Um, I don't have much knowledge or experience or exposure to the Street Fighter games after Street Fighter 2. I'm kind of out of touch with this franchise, but Street Fighter 5 came out in 2016, and I've seen clips of Street Fighter 6, which is being developed for um, release in t- next year, 2023, which, you know, I'll I'll check it out. But I don't, like I said, I don't have much um, um, experience. So Chun-Li in, in Street Fighter Six, there's a Chun-Li. You know what's weird is Mortal Kombat, I believe, came out of, came after Street Fighter. But we're, we're up to Street, uh, we're up to Mortal Kombat 11 but we're only up to Street Fighter 6. I wonder why that is. Um so in Street Fighter 6 there's Chun-Li, of course, Guile, Jury, I'm unfamiliar with, Luke, unfamiliar with, Ryu, of course. Jamie and Kimberly, their names are bold so they're new. Um I'm probably going to look up clips of Street Fighter 6. Um, Street Fighter 5, what's that about? Uh, Street Fighter 4, I lost it, Street Fighter, there's a, there's a ton of Street Fighter games and, um, spin-offs, but, um, but in, in terms of, like, main, main games they're only up to six which is interesting street fighter five i don't know i wonder how big the tournament circuit is for this franchise if it's still huge in 2016 street fighter five broke the evolution champion championship series record for most entrants in a single game with over 5,000 registrations um cool all right that's all i got two hours and 26 minutes you know i was looking at the list of video movies based on video games and let me see if i could do that now list movies based on video games so i i mainly look at the theatrical releases but I've ventured out of that realm as well. So we did Super Mario Brothers, Double Dragon, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Wing Commander starring Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard and Saffron Burroughs. I would have to pay to watch it and I don't feel like paying to watch it. So I'm holding off for now, but I'll probably get to it eventually. Laura Croft Tomb Raider I did a while ago, I believe. 
Resident Evil was our last episode. Laura Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, I believe I did a while ago. House of the Dead, I tried watching on my phone, and it's it's pretty bad, but I feel like I should do it as part of the podcast, just as a rule. Yui Bowl, the name scares me. Like I don't I feel like I don't want to watch anything by Yui Bowl, but I, I don't know. Maybe it'll be fun to trash it. Or maybe I'll do commentaries because it, I'm sure paying attention to the details of the movies is not important. Resident Evil Apocalypse, I bought the set, so I'll watch it. Alone in the Dark, Yui Bowl, Doom. I don't I don't think I have it streaming. I have it's on Peacock. I don't have a Peacock account. Blood Rain Yui Bowl. So this is where I got to. I got to Silent Hill and I started watching it. And I saw that in theaters in 2006. And I didn't really like it and it's not a strong movie, but I watched about an hour's worth of it and it's pretty creepy. So I started thinking that would be a good one for Halloween time. So I was like, maybe I should stop and then just watch it around Halloween time. So then I decided to do Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, for today's, today's episode instead of Silent Hill. But then I realized I was watching it on Hulu. What if it leaves Hulu before Halloween? So I was like, damn it. So I might just finish the movie just to finish it. And then hopefully it'll be around to stream or somehow around Halloween time. Because I feel like it's it's a pretty, pretty solid... Because I'm, I'm not a big horror guy and horror stuff scares me. And the stuff in it is pretty scary and it's, it's not a bad movie. I think, I think people just didn't like it. And, you know, even if it's not a good movie, it can still be effective as a creepy movie. Like at one point, she sees a bunch of words written on the wall, dare, I double dare you, double dare you. So she has to grab something out of a dead guy's mouth and he's like outstretched with like wires in the bathroom and it's creepy. So that might be good for a Halloween um, so that's all I got. Two hours, 30 minutes of me sucking my own dick. Sorry if that was graphic. Um, so I'm not sure what will be next. You know, I bought the Super Mario World animated series on DVD for this podcast and for my own um, enjoyment. But we'll see how that goes. Thank you for listening, if you're listening, if you're out there. I hope you're well. I hope your friends and family are well. Please don't abandon your friends. Take care of each other. I hope your pets are well and thriving. You know, take care of your pets. Um, I hope I hope you're okay. And if you're not okay, I hope you're, you do better. I hope you're doing better by the, by, by the next episode. Um, I'm sorry if I ever offended you in any way. Uh, I apologize for my personality and my soul, and I apologize for my monotone voice. Um, 
take care, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Thanks for listening and say hi to your pets for me.